All right, Shalom Aleichem, welcome back to a double dose Lechem Mishnah, a uh, two for one, as they say. I'm from Chicago, so like Ernie Banks said, gentlemen, it's such a great day, let's play two. Rebetzin Chaim Mushka used to tell Dr. Weiss, or she used to ask him, how did your Cubs do today? Okay, at any rate, so let's play two. Um, we've got two letters tonight, and uh, let's just jump right in without any delay. This is the 12th letter in our series. This is letter uh, Gimel Pei Dalad, which means 3084 in the Igris, and it is, as all of our letters, in Chelek Yud, volume 10 of the Igris, and it was written in uh, 19... 54 or 55. Baruch Hashem Vav Kislev. Now we're in the month of Kislev. All of our letters have been either Tishrei or Cheshvan. Now we're up to Kislev. Baruch Hashem Vav Kislev. Tavshin Tezvav. Brooklyn. Kvutseis Hanairois. The group of girls. Interesting. This letter is to a group of young ladies. I am not 100% sure. I did try to look into it. I believe they were from Kfar Chabad. But uh, as you'll see from the letter, they were definitely from Chabad families. And it's pretty clear also from context, it seems that they are Israeli. Um, but I, I believe they're from Kfar Chabad. Also, I should tell you, there's another letter to this same Kvutzas Nairus, to the same uh, girls' club or girls' uh, group. In the previous Chalik, in volume 9 of Igris, there's also a letter to the same group of girls. And sometimes, you know, it's interesting to see the same story from another character's vantage point, you know, <laughs> to change the, the protagonist. So in a few letters from now, letter 15, which will be in a, in a few nights, letter 15 of our series is written to the teacher of these girls. So get to know the story from this side of it, from the girl's side, and in a few more letters, you're going to hear the same story, but from the side of the teacher. Exciting, suspenseful, okay. Baruch shalom, blessings and greetings. And as we said, when the Rebbe is writing to a woman or to women, the proper salutation is Baruch shalom. We've explained that in previous classes. All right. I've just now received your letter from Yudches Marcheshvan. So this is um, two and a half weeks later. Not surprising if it's coming from Israel. And it was pleasant to me to read at the end of the letter, meaning that was a, a good thing that you wrote at the end of the letter, that uh, that you're continuing the Fabrengens. The Fabrengens, they, they wrote to the Rebbe that they have Fabrengens. They're getting together for Fabrengens. And what do they do with these Fabrengens? You have people lecturing and explaining things to them. Things that are not yet clear to them. So the Rebbe is happy that they're having these educational gatherings, these Fabrengens. This is not the first time we have read about a woman's Fabrengen. In our very first letter of the series, we read about a woman's Fabrengen. And this will not be the last time in our series of 30 letters that we'll hear about the Rebbe encouraging women's Fabrengens. And since we're talking about women's Fabrengens, I want to know, I want to let you know, I do know, I want to let you know that where the whole world is going to be, or Le Yud Aleph Nissen, 
Monday night, April 11th, the night going into Yud Aleph Nissen, there's going to be the Siyam, the 30th class of this series, combined with a special Yud Aleph Nissen Fabrengen for women. There are many men's events, Baruch Hashem, all over the world, but this is a special event for women that is going to take place <coughs> at the Oihel. We're going to actually go into the oil and bring a list of the names of all the participants in the class. Even if you learned one class, please sign the duch, the, uh, the report that we're bringing to the Rebbe, which you can find at 30letters30days.com. And also, RSVP, I have to mention this, it's very limited. There's not a lot of space at the oil, but Baruch Hashem, there's a nice venue one block from the oil where we're going to have our gathering and our fabrengen, and it's going to be very nice, as fitting for the nice throw, but uh, and it's going to be private, and it's going it's to, you're going to have your own area, Baruch Hashem, it's going to be very nice, but it's limited, and I don't have, I don't have space there for a thousand people, I think. Maybe 100 people, there's space, okay? So you have to RSVP. It is by RSVP only at 30letters30days.com. Okay, so that's the plug for our Fabrengen. But the Rebbe liked that these girls had a woman's Fabrengen. Okay. Now, the tone of the letter is going to turn a little bit and going to become a little bit harsh. They said something that Rebbe didn't like. This is your, uh, how many letters are we into? This is your 12th letter. What do you think that Ebba doesn't like? I think you know. Self-deprecating comments. Defeatist attitudes. People who say, I'm not good enough, I can't do this. You know this already, okay? So you guessed it. That's what's about to happen here. All right. Wow, harsh terms. It is understood and obvious that I hereby object. You know what it means to make a macho. I, I protest. Behold eyes with all strength. A vociferous objection. Al habitui The expression that you used at the end of your letter. They used an expression in their letter that Rebbe does not like it. And that Rebbe is making a protest against that expression. What is that expression? Quote, Yam hakrirus hanimtza kvar bonu, the sea of coldness which is found within us already. The sea of coldness, the cold sea, the chilly sea, however you want to read that, that is found within us. They were saying, we're cold, we're not warm to Yiddishkeit, we have a sea of coldness inside of us. Okay, says the Rebbe, Ubavade gamlishi tosson. First of all, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that even according to your own intention in using that language, you were basically being poetic. You didn't mean that literally. Okay. So first of all, I'm 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 sort of <laughs> mitigating how egregious that expression is by by saying I think you were just trying to write pretty words and so you took some poetic license I don't think you really think that that's an accurate des description of your situation however says that I don't even like you speaking that way for poetic effect let's continue Nevertheless, I am issuing my objection against even using words like that as poetry. You don't speak that way. 
You're not allowed to speak that way. You're calling yourselves cold? You're calling yourselves cold? No, I object. Kevin Sha'al Piroiv Mishtamish Hayetzaharish Bechol Adam Betainazu. Don't you know that the Yetzahara, the evil inclination, this is his most common tool. This is the way that he approaches people most commonly. What does he do? Betainazu, with this very claim that you're using against yourself, this is what the Yetzahara likes to tell people, Lasbirai, to explain to the person, he's got very little chance that he'll ever change. Look at you. That's how you're always going to be. <laughs> you think you can improve? You think you can become different? No, people can't change. So now you're speaking about yourself in that way. The Yitzhahara says, since your situation is such and such, So don't even bother fighting when your chances of victory are so remote and it's going to be so hard to to wage war. Don't even bother, the Yitzhahara says. So the Yitzhahara likes to discourage people like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Don't speak that way. Now, the Rebbe could have left it like that and said, you're not allowed to speak about yourself the way the Yitzhahara likes to, you know, play with your mind. The Yitzhahara does the psychological warfare of undermining you, you know, the negative script, the recording, right? That's the Yitzhahara. You ever, you ever wondered what that was, the negative script that's playing in your head? That's the Yitzhahara. It's exactly the Yitzhahara. So the Rebbe could have just said, that's the Yitzhahara, cut it out. But now the Rebbe is going to add, upon the objection, that I was going to actually argue his case, almost like, like a lawyer. Now, again, the Rebbe could have just told them, you're not allowed to speak that way about yourself. But the Rebbe is further explaining to them why it's not even true. You know, it could be, look, it's a little bit true, but don't say it because you're going to psych yourself out. So, you know, don't do that. But now that I was going to explain to them with a really good argument why he knows that this is not true, this thing that they're saying about themselves, that they have this yam hakrirus, this, this chilly cold sea with inside of themselves. And before I jump into the Rebbe's logical argument, very compelling argument, why it cannot be true what they're saying about themselves, I want to just mention something. Um, <laughs> you know, when the Rebbe had his heart attack, um, I mentioned Dr. Weiss earlier about, because the Cubs. Anyways, um, the cardiologist, Dr. Weiss, Ira Weiss from Chicago, he, he came in to, uh, to tend to the Rebbe. And one of the things that Rebbe discussed with him was uh, why can't they use stem cells to rejuvenate the damaged scar tissue in the heart? And Dr. Weiss says, this was the 70s. Nobody talked about stem cells. Nobody knew about stem cells. He said, it was crazy in the 1970s that Rebbe is speaking to me about more than cutting edge, like almost science fiction type stuff, which only became known and common practice decades later. So I kind of feel like the same way here. Um, you ever heard of epigenetics? Now, epigenetics is a term that I think has been around for a while, meaning as far as what I could tell, it's been around since like the 30s or the 40s, but specifically epigenetics related to the Jewish community. There have been a lot of studies about Holocaust trauma, about second generation and even third generation Holocaust trauma. And uh, there are studies that show that 
people who are descendants or even second or third generation descendants of Holocaust survivors have a heightened sense of vigilance because of that trauma. So something that you yourself went through, that's one type of trauma. Then there's epigenetic trauma. This is trauma that you're getting from intergenerational trauma. Okay. The Deb is going to speak about epigenetics, but in a totally different way than we normally think about it. And I, I want to give credit, by the way, where credit is due. I've had about 10 chances since we started this class to thank my dear friend, uh, Levi Shemtov from West Bloomfield, Michigan. And because at every turn, he's been an assistant or a, an assistance to, to this class, more than an assistance. He's uh, really, to, to be honest, he's the one who pushed the whole thing to happen. Uh, but I want to give credit where credit is due regarding the epigenetics thing. He showed me this letter a few months ago before we even decided to do this project. He sent me a picture of the, the Igris and of this letter in Igris, and he just wrote one word, epigenetics, question mark. And I looked at the letter, I'm like, yeah, yeah, except what is the Rebbe doing? The whole concept of epigenetics that we think of as this, this wound, this intergenerational wound, the Rebbe is going to speak about it and say, say it's a real thing, but it's not a wound. <laughs> it's an asset. It's a strength. Everything that Rebbe touches becomes positive. And, and not, not from like a Pollyanna rose-colored glasses type of perspective, but with such clear, logical, compelling arguments. And that's exactly what's going to happen right here. So the Rebbe's writing in 1955, or maybe it's even 1954, I'm not sure, because it was Kislev, it might not have been 1955 yet. And the Rebbe's speaking about epigenetics, but, so that's like way decades ahead of epigenetic studies regarding Jewish intergenerational trauma, but... <laughs> More than that, not only is it cutting edge and way ahead, decades ahead of its time, the way that Rebbe then uses the concept is all positive. All positive. Yeah, what happened to your parents affected them deeply. For the good. And you've got that within you. And you're carrying that. And you've also got that. And it's, and it's all good. Let's, let's, let's read. Okay. So the Rebbe said, you're not allowed to speak that way about yourself. Stop, even if you mean it as poetry. Do not speak that way. Now the Rebbe is going to give... <coughs> Sorry, I have a little bit of a cough. It's from giving this class every night. Now the Rebbe is going to give a logical argument how he knows it's not true. He knows they don't have a sea of coldness inside of them. Hayasayid lahamachoshalihu. Here's the logical crux of my argument, which is the basis for my, my protest. Anyone who comes from a Jewish home, on a Hasidic Jewish home, or any Jewish home really, where in that family, they were forced to be in a situation of mesiris nafish, of something life-threatening, where they had, to, they had to risk the ultimate sacrifice. And they were under those conditions for several months, the Rebbe says. And how much more so if they were under those conditions for many years? So they were under these, what we'll call, I'll use the word traumatizing for right now, but we're going to see it's actually... 
the Rebbe is going to flip the whole thing and turn it into the very opposite of trauma. If their family was under such conditions for months or for even years, and remember, these are, these are Chabad girls. Who are they? I mean, this is, this is 1955. It wasn't like today where, where Chabad families come from all lineages and all places. And these were, these were girls from Chabad families. They were all from Russia. As the Rebbe is going to say, either they were born in Russia or their parents were in Russia and then came out of Russia and then they were, they were born. So we're talking about girls who either were born under Stalinist oppression or their parents were, were born and lived and, and uh, started their families under Stalinist oppression. So anyone's family who endured months or even years of this type of trauma it's impossible that it doesn't take root in that person's soul. If you live through that kind of mesidus nefesh, it has a permanent effect on your nefesh, on your soul. Epigenetics. And it's impossible that that will not then carry over to that person's sons and daughters. Hear what the Rebbe is saying? Something happened in Russia when your parents were living under such brutally oppressive circumstances. They had to be Meiser Nefesh. And that aroused something deep within them, a deep strength. And that was implanted within them permanently forever. And it was implanted not only within them, but within their, well, let's call it, quote-unquote, genetics, their DNA, which they passed on to you, and now you inherited their spiritual strength. Crazy. Wild. Mind-blowing. Okay. Ki the character traits of the parents, especially character traits that were expressed for a considerable amount of time, meaning it wasn't just latent potential within your parents, but they had to express it, they had to cash it, and they actually had to use their capacity for self-sacrifice on a day-to-day -day basis in order to survive. Nick Boys, it becomes affixed. Benefesh habanim vahabanes in the souls of the children, venaisu chelik mehem, and it becomes a part of those children. So you have that spirit of self sacrifice. You have that courage. It was implanted in you. Don't tell me about a yam of kirus, that you have a cold, chilly sea within you. you have, you're the opposite. You're the opposite of that. You have this, this warrior spirit within you that was able to defy Stalin. It's within you. Even if you don't remember it, even if you were born after it. This is your inheritance. Epigenetics. Let's continue. The And even if they are transplanted, to other types of circumstances, and now they no longer need Mesiris Nefesh every single step they take. Back in Russia, every step you took 
KGB could be looking. There was literally life and death hanging in the balance every single moment. And now you've moved to a place where you're not fearful for your life. There's no persecution. To the contrary, now the temptation is assimilation. Secular Israeli society. So not persecution. So now you've moved into a place where that self-sacrifice that was implanted in you is no longer being required. It's not being activated or triggered anymore. So you don't feel it on a revealed level anymore. But deep down, you've got it. You've got it intact. Listen to what the Rebbe is saying. What happened, what Stalin did to your family is he made them strong forever. He made your family, for all generations, extremely strong Jews, including you. Now, you're not under Stalin anymore. So now, those strengths that were implanted in you are not being triggered, so they're not being activated, so you don't know they're there. But they are there! Any, listen, this is just so mind-blowing. Any character trait that is uh, is acquired through some type of life-threatening situation. Again, you could call this in the negative way, you could call it trauma. But this is like anti-trauma, <laughs> to coin a term. Any character trait that is implanted through a life-threatening situation and through difficult circumstances. You cannot uproot it and get rid of it even if you wanted to. How much more so, it's not going to just disappear on its own. <laughs> so girls, even if you wanted to uproot this quality that was bequeathed to you, you couldn't get rid of it. How much more so, it's not going to just disappear because you haven't been using it. You see, you are the same warriors that your parents were. It's just not being triggered in you because, thank God, you live in a safe place. But it's still there. And you're going to learn how to tap into it and use it now and call upon it. You know, the Rebbe doesn't say this at all, but to me it's very similar to Tanya through You have the Tanya map in back of me every class. This is, this is my baby, the Tanya map. Uh, but you see the green prokem here, yud ches through chav hey. So that's sometimes they call it the 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 short way, the ava misuteris. He explains over there that every Jew deep down has this yerusha from the aves from Avram Yitzchok and Yankiv. And I, w- I would add, by the way, that this epigenetics that I was speaking to these girls whose parents lived under Stalin yamachshemay. But I want to say every Jew has this, because if you go back long enough. All of our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents were, were, were brutalized. And that doesn't make us weak people. That makes us tremendously strong people. At any rate, so in Prokim Yud of Tanya, he explains over there that every Jew has this capacity for, for Mesiris Nefesh that we inherited from the Aves, from Avrom Yitzchak Yankiv. I guess there, there's epigenetics, <laughs> and I never thought of it. Levi, Levi Shemtov, there's the epigenetics. Yud uh, At any rate... Um, but we don't normally call upon it. We don't normally use that, that what we call Ava Misuteris, because that's what it means. Misuteris means hidden, it's latent. But in those Prokim of Tanya, he teaches you how to activate it under 
whatchamacallit, under uh, normal circumstances, regular conditions. Okay, so at any rate, so the Rebbe is about to tell them, you have this tremendous capacity, and it hasn't been triggered, because thank God the KGB is not watching you, but you can call upon it, and it's there, and it, and it, and it, and it never went anywhere, and it can't go anywhere. Okay. Okay, so all of this as it relates to them. Your parents all had to fight, a hard fight, and they all came out intact. They came out as religious Jews. Don't forget where you come from. Those are your parents. Some of you are old enough, or your parents left the Soviet Union recently enough, that you were part of it. You remember. You remember what it was like to live under communism. And what was this battle that you partook in? Not to assimilate. So either you had to do it actively, or maybe you were very young and you only did it passively. You just went along with your parents. doesn't matter. Those qualities became engraved on your hearts. And within your innermost souls. Ella, except what happened. When you moved to an easier situation, now it feels like you don't have to fight for survival because there's no KGB. There's no Stalin. So now it feels like you can relax. Since nobody's chasing you and persecuting you and trying to get you to, God forbid, transgress against Yiddishkeit. As is the nature of people. By the way, this reminds me very much of the Rebbe's Maimavate which was the last Maimav the Rebbe gave out. And it speaks about this explicitly, this idea about people who under communist oppression were so courageous and then they came to a free land and, uh, you know, <laughs> ever wonder why if you have a, a paper that takes two days to write and it's assigned 30 days before it's due, you only start two days before it's due. <laughs> if it weren't for adrenaline, nothing would get done, right? Okay, I know a couple of people who aren't like that, but yeah, definitely procrastination I can relate to. At any rate, so if it weren't for adrenaline, what, you know, nothing would get done. So it's a similar concept here. Um, you are not under the gun. You're not, thank God, you're not in a situation where you're being forced to fight for your Yiddishkeit. So the Rebbe calls it Teva B'nei Odom. It's just human nature Near Domim Hachushma, such poetry. Near Domim Hachushim Hamazhirim as Haodim Sakono Ereves Lakiumai. The alert system that normally keeps people on their toes for survival issues 
it goes into slumber mode. Think about that. There's, there's a, I mean, I, 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 this is not what that I was saying explicitly, so I don't want to insert my own words here, but think about it in terms of, of, of trauma. But in the positive sense, how that I was saying it, that you attained these heightened senses this, this, I mean, they call it in a negative way, hypervigilance, but here it's, it's all positive that I was saying you attained this, this acute sense of Jewish pride and conviction. But what happens is when the threat goes down, then th that, that, or, or let's say the triggers, but these are good triggers. I mean, they're not good triggers. Stalin is not a good thing, but I'm saying the result is all good. <laughs> the result is a, a hyper awareness of, of my relationship with Hashem and my, my devotion to Tater Mitzvahs. So what happens though, is when the triggers are gone, the cues for threat are gone. So it's, it's just human nature that those, those senses go into slumber mode. Okay. But the Rebbe is saying we could wake them up and it's a good thing to wake them up. We do want to wake them up. Um, Sakonis Oiv, listen to this. Sakonis Oiv, Mishapis Belavushe Oihev, an enemy who appears like a friend, Gudela Harba Yeser, is much more dangerous. And that's what you're dealing with. You're not dealing with Stalin in the Soviet Union. You're dealing with the lure of secular Israeli culture where they're inviting you to assimilate. So that's actually much more dangerous because it lulls you into a false sense of security where your uh, latent epigenetic super Jewish adrenaline is in slumber mode. This is your situation. If someone, God forbid, would try to get you to violate the basics of Judaism. You wouldn't even get into a discussion with them. You wouldn't even dignify it with a response. If you would say no with simplicity and with strength. Avol, however, cave and shmaschilim bin yadamakalim, since the threat to you is much more innocuous and therefore much more insidious, it's just little erosions of your observance. Be'enehem, that ever says be'enehem, because that means in your eyes, because really, in fact, again, it says there's really nothing small. It's all a connection or not connection. But something that subjectively feels like a minor thing, uh, so it doesn't feel like a threat. So you're not triggered to have that super Jew response and you just let it slide. So what happens? The Rebbe explains and describes the... the uh, the spiral, the downward spiral that, God forbid, could happen where there are these tiny little uh, erosions of your commitment. Uh, so, okay. Right. So you take one little uh, turn off of the king's way. Who's the king? The king of the world, the Holy One, blessed be he. So a person can fool himself, the layman, and he could say, 
שבשבילי אין כל חשש לינטס הצידה מדרך הכבושה. For me, I won't get lost. It's okay. <coughs> I can deviate from the, from the king's path a little bit, just a little bit. Just a little bit. כי אין זה אלא נטייה קלה, it's just a small diversion. ואפילו בזה, and even if I go off the path a little bit, מוסא שארצה, as soon as I want, I could quit any time I want. מוסא שארצה, as soon as I want, או שלא דרך, דרך אביסנו היא דרך התיירה והמצווה, I could go back to the path of my father's, back to the path of תיירה מצווה. So that's much more dangerous than if Stalin is oppressing you. וכבר ידוע פסקם כבי קדישוס מאיר וחומי אדמור, זכר צדיק וקודש לבוכר לחיים אילום הבו, נשמוס בגין זמי רמים, זכוסי יוגן עלינו. And it's already known the statement of my father-in-law, the Rebbe, אשר, כשמייצים איש מאיר הבירה, תהיה ביער אוויס, מולי חייס, טורפייס ושדדי אדם, when a person who comes from the capital city, the capital city means like the, the, the fancy metropolis, the king's Metropolis. So he, he lives in the fancy, dancy, cosmopolitan metropolis. And then one day he wakes up and he's in the middle of a scary forest full of predatory animals and full of bandits. So the Fidegur Rebbe said, That didn't happen <coughs> instantly. That didn't happen instantly. It's impossible that somebody one second is in the middle of the king's city and then the, ne- and then the next second all of a sudden he's in the middle of a, of a scary forest. That's not how it happened. It didn't happen in a second. But Haseda, really, what was the progression or the regression? First, he just left the city. He just went to the outskirts, you know, the suburbs. And then he went off of the highway. דרך הכבושה, the paved path. כסיידה, just a hair's breath. וכיוון שהסחל מנטייה והולך בכיוון זה, since he already started going in that direction. הרי גם מבלי שירגיש בדבר, he didn't even feel it. מסחל לינטייס יס ויס, he started drifting more and more. וליטייס מן הדרך על השפיל. He went off of the main road, and he went into a little side road. ומן השפיל לנסיף, and then he went to a little... Path, what do they call it? Off the beaten path. Now all of a sudden he's far away from the settled area. He's even far away from the highway. You know, you have settled areas and then you have highways connecting them or roads at least connecting them. Now he's not even near the road. Not even near the road. Can't even see other people. And he sees that around him are these scary animals of prey, and he is endangered at every move. And the analogy here is well understood. It's obvious, the point, the mushal here from the Fidek Rebbe. So the Rebbe is telling these girls, if the threat to your Yiddishkeit were black and white, I know what you would do. You would do the same thing your parents did. And you would pass with flying colors. And you have that in you. The problem is the tests to your Yiddishkeit are subtle. And therefore, you think that you don't have what it takes to overcome them. But the truth is, you have what it takes to overcome this kind of threat and much, 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 much more of a threat. It's there. It's your inheritance. 
Okay. So remember, this letter is from the month of Kislev. So in these days, this, which is right before Yutes Kislev, this is, Yutes Kislev is the anniversary of when the Alter Rebbe came out of prison and came to freedom. Why was the Alter Rebbe imprisoned? He was imprisoned because, not because of the Mesira, not because uh, the people said uh, he was giving money to the enemy of Russia and he was sending money to the Ottoman Turks. That, that, that's what was the claim in the, in the terrestrial court. But the real reason, as we know, is because there was a Kitrig Melmaila, there was an accusation in the heavenly court against his unprecedented dissemination of the teachings of Chassidus. And when he came out into freedom, it wasn't just a personal redemption, it was also the triumph of his whole uh, ideology, meaning Chassidus Chabad. So my bracha to you, Hashem should bless you. And I'm, I'm, I had a hard time how, how to read and translate this word. There was even a discussion if maybe this was a typo and it wasn't Yavino, it was Yachino, you should prepare yourselves as Atzman. What does it mean, Yavino es Atzman? Um, and in the translation even here it says you should understand yourselves, meaning you should understand on your own, you should understand by yourself. But I'm reading it here, Asher Yovino S. Atzman, that they should understand themselves. You should know who you are. You should know who you are. You should understand who you are. We don't have a lot of time here, and we have a second letter. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk about uh, one of my favorite letters from the Igris, <laughs> from Tafshin Lamedalad, maybe another time, but uh, the Rebbe's letter to Moshe Yitzchok Hecht from New Haven, Connecticut. And uh, Rebbe Moshe Yitzchok Hecht wanted to quit his shlichas. He was completely overwhelmed. And the Rebbe wrote him back and said, you know what your problem is? You got to meet this guy, Moshe Yitzchok Hecht. And if you meet him, you're going to see everything's going to be smooth sailing. So the Rebbe says to these girls, you know what you got to do for Yitzchok Kislev? You got to... Meet yourselves. you got to understand yourselves. Not just your outer garments. you got to know your inner self. you got to know the essence of your soul. That essence of your soul is awake, is alive to all that is holy. That inner spark within you is alive and awake to everything that is Torah and mitzvahs and all of its ways. You will find sufficient strength within yourselves. Not to be embarrassed in front of scoffers. Because really, that's the, the, the test these girls are going through. Their test isn't persecution. Their test is scoffers. People who, people, not, no one's going to arrest you, they're just going to crinkle their nose at you. So the Rebbe says, look into your soul, see your power, and you're going to realize how proud you are. Ula, ula 
shinishanhu bebotim chesedusiyim. You're going to conduct yourselves in such a way where everyone sees that you are proud. In everything you do, it's going to reflect the fact you are proud that you were brought up in Hasidic homes. And you're going to behave accordingly in your day-to-day lives. The whole thing comes down to your desire. You've got what, you've got what it takes. That's it. Balls in your court. With blessings for success in this work. Soon and quick. <laughs> and the success in all the stuff we're talking about, the spiritual stuff, that's going to bring success in everything in your life. Material stuff too. We've had that in letters from the Rebbe before, that the spiritual is the key to the material. They're not two separate worlds. So you're going to do what's good for your soul, that's going to be good for your body and for everything. Okay, that was a long letter. It took us a little bit of a long time. But like I said, it's a double header. So we're going to go into the second letter now, which is a, uh, a short letter, very short letter.